Hello and welcome to another episode of Tech Beyond the Hype, the podcast that explores how the latest advancements in both business and tech are shaping the future of how we work. I'm your host, Anna Salomboira, and today we're diving into a thought-provoking conversation about innovation, AI, and the power to create positive change. Today's guest is Trent Gillespie, an esteemed expert in innovation and technology. With a wealth of experience, including a long stint leading growth and innovation projects at Amazon, Trent has witnessed firsthand the incredible power of real innovation. Nowadays, he's on a mission to help executives and business leaders to tap into their own abilities in the space of innovation. In the episode, Trent shares his insights on the impact of generative AI and how it's poised to revolutionize work across industries. He discusses the importance of creating value and lifting up society through innovation and shares top tips and best practices for leaders and workers looking to embed innovation into their own working lives. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a business leader, or simply curious about the future of tech, this episode is definitely one for you. Get ready to be inspired and gain valuable insights from this conversation with the wonderful Trent Gillespie. Enjoy. Hey, so Trent, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Tech Behind the Hype. I'm super excited to have you with us. Before we begin and we launch into the conversation, it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do right now. Yeah, for sure. And again, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to go and talk to any audience about the things that I do, because I think that innovation is just so important. So after I left Amazon a couple of years ago, I decided to start an organization that helps other people, specifically executives and other technology and business leaders, learn how to innovate. And the reason that I do this is because I saw the power of innovation at Amazon. I helped with that. And I think it's actually the most important thing that people can use in order to create benefit for themselves, their careers, their businesses, and even their communities. And so I think it's critically important, especially now that AI is on the scene, because that's just going to be like innovation on steroids. And so that's what I do. I, go out, I talk to groups, I talk to leaders, I talk to individuals about how to innovate, be that startups to large enterprises. Fantastic. That sounds super exciting. Well, you must be very in demand at the moment. I know a lot of people are talking innovation. Everyone's talking generative AI. I'm really keen to talk to you about both of those things and to find out your views. But before we do, there's a lot of hype around both innovation and AI, like you said. I think it's useful if we can start from a base point. What do you mean when you say innovation? What exactly are we talking about? Yeah, it's a really great point to start. And that's where I start most of my presentations because everybody has a different understanding of it. You know, I think about it differently than most people. It can be a noun, it can be a verb, it can be an adjective. I mean, it can be all these things. And so it's confusing to people. So the definition I have is a bit different. What I go with is the definition of innovation is the process of creating sustainable value from something new. And so there's a few different parts of that that are really important to understand. First, it's a process. And so when you think about this, a lot of people think Amazon or, you know, any startup, any unicorn, they got lucky, right? You know, it could be a Facebook, it could be any of these companies that are billion dollar companies. They got lucky. And that's just not the case. Maybe they were in the right place at the right time, but they followed a process that's reliable and it helped them create value. And because it's a process, people can learn it. And it's also about creating sustainable value. 
Some people go and create something like e-scooters or the e-bikes that are all over the place. That's actually not creating good, sustainable value for society. Those companies have cost billions of dollars in shareholder investments. They're bad for the environment. They're causing tons of injury. They're garbage all over the place. They're something new, but I actually don't think they're creating value sustainably for society. And so I think that's an important part. And then the last bit of it is it's not invention of something brand new in the history of the world. It's just doing something in a new way. And it could be a new way for that business process. And that applies to a coffee shop. It applies to a small business. It applies to a large enterprise like Amazon. You might get an idea from somebody else and you apply it. That is innovation. And so the whole thing of innovation is to just do lots of small changes that create value one after another. And if you do that a lot, it creates a lot of momentum and a lot of change and a lot of future value for your business or your career. And so to make sure that I'm understanding what your definition is in a nutshell, taking an idea or a challenge that may already have a solution to it, looking at that solution and then seeing how you can solve it differently, reframing it and having kind of incremental change. Does that into it? Yeah. Incremental change, as long as it gives value, is exactly what innovation is. It doesn't need to be something that gives a billion dollars worth of value to somebody. At Amazon, its power is that it gives every single person the ability to innovate every single day. And it could be that, hey, you're just going to improve a process that saves 15 minutes. That creates value because you can take that 15 minutes of savings and apply it a different way. You can use that to do something else that creates value for the company. And if everybody in a company is doing something that saves 15 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day or whatever, eventually by the end of the year, you've made a pretty big change in that organization. And so what you need to do is just have people that are looking for those opportunities to bring improvement and identify it and put it in place and take advantage of it routinely. That's innovation. And leaders, they need to figure out how to build organizations that do it. And so a lot of organizations, they just don't, right? They've got standard ways of doing things. This is the way we do something. And that means that they are not innovative or they might actually hold people accountable in a negative way if somebody tries something that fails. Right. That's not what you want to do, right? You want to reward people for trying something different, even if it fails, as long as they followed whatever your process was. Totally. So what I'm hearing is that it's about culture and process to an extent, because without the culture and the context of having a team which encourages iterative change and development, then regardless of the process, it's much more difficult to have that level of innovation, as you were saying. That's absolutely true. And there's a lot of talk, if you look at online and management books, things about culture of innovation. And that is absolutely a big part of it, but it's really only one part. When I started doing this, I went and I looked and tried to figure out how I could teach people Amazon's way, right? Because I do think Amazon is the best example of innovation in a company in the world, in the history of the world. They've been going on 30 years of continual growth. Nobody's been able to show that kind of continual growth before. It's not that it's perfect, but it's a great example that you can look at and you can look at the positive and negative aspects and incorporate. 
but it's a lot more than just culture because it starts with leaders and it goes through these different components. I actually found some professors who are based out of Europe and they studied innovation and for your podcast, you probably don't want to get into all the theoretical details, but they found that there's eight consistent parts of innovative organizations. And the number one part is it starts with leaders because leaders need to be innovative themselves. They need to understand innovation and they need to set processes, strategies, incentives for employees, all these things in place that create an innovative organization. And that's one of the reasons that I focus a lot on leaders, because if you don't have leaders that understand it, you're just not going to be successful in innovation. Right. So would you say that the leadership element is what companies generally are getting wrong when it comes to innovation, getting their leaders up to the level that's needed to be able to innovate like we Absolutely. Are? Absolutely. Leaders don't get it. And that's across the board. And there's a lot of reasons for it because it's not taught in schools. The business books are based on business theory established in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Our environment is totally different than the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Now, they're also taught by professors that have been doing business for decades, learning those books and applying those books. Technology changes so fast that what we do in business is probably changing every 10 years, pretty substantially. So coming out of a business school, even if they're trying to do the right things, you're not being taught by people who've actually done it in a big, innovative corporate way in technology type organizations that are bringing change. You're not doing the types of projects the ways that they would. And so leaders just haven't really had the opportunity. Most people haven't had the opportunity unless you've worked in one of these organizations that again is highly innovative. You probably don't recognize these things. You don't have the knowledge, the basis, the experience, et cetera. And leaders just don't know. I'll add an example here. When I talk to leaders typically about innovation, I will start and ask, well, what is it? They can't define it. Most of them think that it is being a billion dollar idea. So what they do is they say, oh, well, I'm going to go hire somebody who's going to go and create a billion dollar change for my organization. Guess what? Those almost always fail. That's not the best way to approach it because until you have that culture, any of these big bets that you make are probably going to fail. The second, if I ask them, hey, what are your bottlenecks to innovation? They can't answer. And that might be the culture is very risk averse. It could be any number of things. But if you want to improve your innovation, you need to figure out that bottleneck. That's actually what you need to fix. It's not going out after a billion dollar project. It is find what's slowing you down today and get those things out of the way. So again, it's very much about leaders, but it also applies to individuals. They also don't know the same thing. They haven't been taught in schools either. And a lot of people want to now take advantage of these technologies they use personally in their lives at work, but the work is saying no, right? You've got to figure out how to incorporate these elements. Right. So I assume you're primarily talking about generative AI. Since November of last year, when ChatGPT was launched, there's been this insane explosion of different tools and applications of all sorts looking to solve a million different problems. And I mean, personally, in my own profession, I've been using generative AI and I mean, ChatGPT is something that has basically become my new Google search platform. And I think the same is true for the majority of at least professionals of a certain age, perhaps, when it comes to leaders and innovation, what are they getting wrong when it comes to generative AI? 
I, I think it's important to define two concepts here. I try to refer now to ChatGPT and its cousins as generative AI pretty reliably because people are getting confused between the old style of AI, which was really analytical, predictive analytics and other analytics to understand what's happening today versus creating something new. And that's the definition of generative, right? Generative AI means create something new with AI. And so these are really two fully different things that you don't want to confuse. And so if you talk to leaders, again, there's a lot of variety in leaders, right? Some leaders are going to know the differences. Most don't. Most of them have referred to their technology organization or potentially their legal organization to figure out what to do with it. And they're really not aware of actually what's going on. They're seeing all the buzzwords, but they don't really know who to trust. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know the business application. So their kind of minds are shutting down, right? And then of course, a lot of leaders are also very risk averse. And so their legal folks or privacy folks or infotech folks are saying, ooh, this is a big risk. So let's not do it. And that's what's putting them at odds with newer generations that are, like you're saying, using ChatGPT every day to do stuff because your leaders are now very risk averse, saying, don't try these new innovative things and everybody else in the company is already doing. And the more you say no, either people are just going to continue to do it in a hidden way, or you're actually going to be behind your competitors because it is a benefit to your employees. So it's really about getting leaders to understand what it is, the differences between the two, and then how you can take advantage of generative AI in a way that ensures you don't put your company at risk. And there's not a lot of focus on that. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And I've got an event coming up here in Seattle in two weeks where we're actually sitting down with a partner of mine to bring a bunch of leaders together to go through this point, to teach them, here's the differences, here's some examples, here's what you want to do, here's what you need to think about as a leader practically about how to take advantage of it. Because right now, all the feedback they're getting is from their legal counsel saying, don't do it, you're going to expose us to risk and you're going to be out of business. So obviously the majority of our audience is not going to be taking part in that meeting, unfortunately, myself included. And I'm not going to ask you to give away all your secrets and tell us everything that you're going to be saying in that meeting. But if you could kind of summarize in a nutshell your main piece of advice that you're giving in that meeting, what would it be? Oh, no, I'm happy to share it because my whole goal is to get the message out about how to use these things to be innovative. I'll share with you a lot of this detail, but let me tell you a little bit of philosophy here for a second and the impacts of ChatGPT and generative AI. I'm a bit unique in the fact that I look at a little bit more at the theory and philosophy and try to apply it with my real experience at Amazon. Now, GPT first, do you know what that stands for? I should, but I don't. That's embarrassing. Hello. Uh, that's fine because it's a trick question, right? Uh -huh. Most people think of ChatGPT, generative pre-transform. But I actually stop people there and say no. And I think this might have been intentional by, you know, Sam over at OpenAI or Google or whoever. The first definition of GPT is general purpose technology. This is a concept that came up a number of decades ago when people in business and business theory and technology theory were evaluating how technology impacts society. And what happened is they said, Hey, you know, every so often in the history of the world, there's been these technologies that were created that changed things. 
and they labeled these as general purpose technologies. And the reason they did that is they said, well, we found that these technologies that cause major societal shifts are generally applicable to anything, right? It's not a new technology that's being created that only applies to biomedical. These are technologies that can be applied to any general purpose. And when they do get applied, there's these certain attributes to them that are consistent. And one of those attributes is they create new productivity. And the biggest impact is that the cost of R&D goes down because of that productivity change. And when cost of productivity goes down, your success rate goes up and innovation goes through the roof. Now, this has happened 25 times in the history of the world, starting with domestication of animals. Each time this happens, people are very much early like, oh, this is kind of weird. We don't like it. We're uncomfortable. And then it gets out there. People adopt it and everything kind of explodes. Things change. And then you've got a new normal. It's happened with computers, the microprocessor. That was one of the last big ones. That was applicable to every use case that's out there. The internet, that was another one. My argument is that generative AI specifically is the 26th. And if you think of it this way, you have an example because every time this has happened, the same impacts have happened to society, which means innovation has gone up. Job locations change. There's a massive redistribution of where people work. There's a massive redistribution of wealth, right? And so if you think about things like the computer, different organizations run the world now. There's different wealth at these companies than before the computer were invented. Same thing with the internet, right? There's massive redistributions of wealth that occur. Steam engine is often referred to as one of those, and it was, right? Major changes and major changes in labor force because people were no longer working the same way. You know, they moved from manual work to more automated work. And think about the impacts of generative AI, you have to consider it as one of these world-changing things. And we're at the very forefront of it. So it's a big, big deal. That's GPT, and it's going to make massive changes. And so if anybody out there, and probably people listening to your podcast, they're wondering, what do I do? And so that's what we can talk about. But uh, I'll pause and take any feedback. I know I've been talking a long time. No, not, not at all. Thank you so much for going into detail with your answer. Another juicy answer, and especially, I know that you said earlier that you didn't know if, if the podcast is very theoretical. I love a good theory. So thank you for enlightening us. So I've been following a lot of the media when it comes to ChatGPT, and there's loads of people saying that it's going to change everything. But I see it's kind of two fields of thought in the media. There's those that think this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread, you know, the top innovation that helps change the world for the better. And then there's a whole other swathe of people saying it's going to take everyone's jobs away. It's going to potentially kill masses of people. You were saying earlier about leaders and the kind of pause the companies are taking when it comes to embedding this into their own processes. How much of their hesitation comes from fear? And what would you say to someone who brings those arguments to you and says, yes, but. I think whether or not the impact is going to be positive or negative, it's going to be bull. And again, this is why I think you can go back to that GPT example, because you can study what's happened every time this has occurred in human history. 
there's significant people that are disrupted and jobs change and careers are, are stopped and all this stuff. But again, there's value created just in different ways. That's happened every single time. And so I don't think that anybody's right if they're saying, oh, it's just going to be beautiful or it's just going to be bad, right? There's going to be opportunity created in new ways for sure, but it's going to be a lot different. I, I think there's two different levels. Let me talk from a business perspective first and then an individual perspective. But what I tell leaders, and again, this is a little bit of what I'll be speaking about next week to the leader group here. There's really two paths. One path is what I call the legacy path. Anybody who's been trained traditionally in business, what they're told is when you have a productivity increase in your workforce, you reduce the size of your workforce to your current needs. And so what that means is you lay people off. Generative AI is going to be bringing significant productivity improvements right now, like over the next six to 18 months in most organizations and industries. So business leaders are able to say right now, hey, should I be reducing my headcount by 25%? And a lot of organizations are going to say, yes, I'm going to reduce my headcount. That makes me more profitable and I can continue to operate what I'm doing today with fewer employees. Most companies are going to be tempted by that. The smart companies, what they're going to say is, I'm going to take that additional 25% to productivity and I'm going to apply it to innovation. That's additional effort I can put into essentially R&D. And when I do that, I'm going to accelerate my business, go and create new products and services and win my competitors who are those traditional ones who are doing nothing new. And what's going to happen is those leaders who take advantage of generative AI, not to lay people off, but actually create new products and services are going to dramatically outperform those traditional companies. And I think within five years, those traditional companies are out of business. It's going to be a very quick change. And that's why I tell business leaders, like, this isn't something you can wait on. You don't get to wait for three years before you come up with a plan and start doing it because there's somebody who's currently competing with you with it. You just don't know who they are. So that's the business perspective. And again, why I tell leaders, don't leave people off right now. Start figuring out how to take advantage of it. Now, as it applies to individuals, your jobs are disrupted. I've been in technology for many years now. I talk primarily with technologists and again, business leaders and other people. We are all knowledge workers. Your audience probably is 90% knowledge workers or higher. Knowledge workers have been disrupted. That's it. Generative AI is a tool, a machine that improves knowledge work. That's the fundamental of it. And that means you are now expected to do more with whatever you're doing in your workday. You need to create new value. So if you want to have a job going forward, there's a few things you need to do. You need to stay abreast of the changes with generative AI. That's the most important thing because we're into a world now of dramatically faster change. And so it's not about you getting into a role where you're going to sit in that role for 10 years and do the same thing. You need to go in and understand what's happening and figure out a way to use these new products and services to create value. If you do that, you can be one of the first people in your organization that does it. You can be the go-to person for generative AI, for knowing your processes, knowing change, knowing how to get out there, knowing your customer, and you've got a secure job. So learn these things, 
But importantly, it's no longer just sitting and doing what you're doing. You need to be a continual change agent and stay abreast of what's happening. And I think that's the only thing that you can do right now to be successful in the years to come. Don't just ignore it. You've got to actually put effort in to stay abreast of these things that are changing. And what does that look like in practice when you say creating value from generative AI? Let's humanize it a little bit and put it into a scenario. So I'm a content editor. How could I, for instance, be looking at generative AI? The first thing I would say is, I don't know. You know your role best. And so the question is, what are you doing in your job that generative AI can assist with? So what I tell people is just write down in a piece of paper or in OneNote or whatever you use for your note-taking, where you spend your time on a given day. And maybe for you, it is content writing or editing. And maybe it is scheduling meetings. Maybe it is note-taking. And then see if there's tips. Just search online. A generative AI for note-taking. There's a million tools that take notes now. Yeah. From a personal perspective, I've been using them left, right, and center. And it's, yeah, it's mad the amount of different solutions that there are and the amount that's open source and available for anyone to use. Yeah, that's exactly it. And there's literally hundreds of these tools being created every month. And some of them are very specific to job roles. Some are very generic. But what I tell people is exactly what I just said. Look at the type of work you do. Break it down and then just go look for what type of tools can assist with it. I use note takers, meeting planners. I test writing software, salespeople. It's being built into all these sales platforms marketing, content writing, document writing. I mean, it's across the board, writing graphs, analyzing data. How does it work from a business leader's perspective? What should they be looking yeah. for? I think there's two things. Of course, leaders are always highly concerned about risk. And so what I tell leaders is first you need to understand it, right? That helps you understand and quantify the risk or at least qualify what the risk is. And second, you need to establish policies for your employees about how they should and shouldn't do it. You're not going to stop them from using it, but you can tell them, hey, don't put customer names into chat GPT. That's an easy thing from a privacy perspective, right? It's fairly intuitive to any employee, at least in, in Europe with GDPR being omnipresent. Um, but there's some minimum standards you can take, or you can say, hey, let's purchase one of these products and teach our employees to use it. That is a business version of chat GPT. They've just announced one that's going to be coming out any day. They've already made some changes where they made it compliant with GDPR. And so there's some things that are being done for this. And there's some other platforms available that do make it business okay from a confidentiality perspective. But minimum, you should be doing this as a leader. Mm -hmm. Educate your force. Give them a way to do it that keeps you generally protected. The second is start looking at how you can use it for innovation. And so what I did, and this is all on my website over at d1innovation.com, what I did recently is I figured out how to use ChatGPT to redo and dramatically improve Amazon's innovation process. I was at Amazon for about nine years. I've been technology for over 20 years. And when I went to Amazon, I more or less became a key problem solver. And so I worked on a few big problems while I was there. The first one was how Amazon should expand globally. Uh, it was having a lot of difficulty trying to get this big organization to become even bigger and go across the globe. And so I stepped in to be the point of contact for global expansion across all businesses and geographies. And I did that for a few years to help Amazon 
become what it is today. And that gave me a very unique view to operating at scale, innovating at scale, different pressures in different geographies. I had launched many different geographies Amazon is in. The regulatory concerns, regulator concerns, customer concerns, all these things. I was involved in every M&A activity Amazon did. And so I knew the thought process between how Amazon thought about expansion and growth and acquiring companies. So I saw all this stuff, which was very interesting. And then I went over and did about three and a half years managing Amazon's innovation and product portfolio for the last mile technology organization, which is the one that is now Amazon doing its own deliveries. And so more or less was there at the very early days of that to build it and get it to be the size of actually bigger than FedEx today. And then after that, I moved over and set up the Alexa privacy function when privacy was becoming very important. I had to figure out what privacy meant for Alexa and is the bleeding edge of privacy issues in Amazon, really what Amazon should be doing for privacy. And so I set a lot of those compliance standards in place and then importantly, made sure it was doing it. And so I set the standards for a very large organization and then checked on them. I edited, audited code, built the risk team, built the compliance team and these other things to make sure that it was doing the right stuff with customer data. And then when COVID came, I said, enough is enough. I'm kind of killing myself. I'm going to quit. And that's where I switched over to help pick what Amazon did well. And that is innovation really, and take it to other people. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. That's super cool. I can only imagine how busy you must have been. You're just telling, saying the responsibility of your role. That sounds insane. Like you had so much going on all at once. So good on you for kind of unplugging and doing your own thing. I love that. I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah, uh, what would you say is the secret source of the innovation strategy or the view of innovation that you are taking from Amazon and what you see from Amazon? What, what would you say that? Looks like. I, I talk to people about this every single day. Uh, very simply, it is that Jeff Bezos was smart enough to know that he built an organization that was specifically designed for innovation. And a lot of people think about Amazon, they're a retail company. They're not, they've never been a retail company. The area they started in because they saw a big opportunity. They're not a platform company. If you think about like AWS, again, they went into it because it was a big opportunity. Are they going to be a healthcare company? Yes, they're going to be a healthcare company. They're doing all these different things that are different, not because they are a retail company or a technology company or whatever. It's because they're an innovation company. And so what they did is they figured out reliable methods of building a system of innovation as the core reason that company exists. It starts with leaders. They look for leaders who are innovative. You have to be interviewed on it. You've got to prove it before you can get a job in leadership. They train leaders on it. Now specifically, how do you innovate? It's in their mission. Everything they do from leadership principles about you know how you operate as an employee to the processes, they are all designed to support innovation. That is the unique thing. And one of the things that I recommend organizations evaluate if they want to be innovative. And I, I talked to different organizations and a lot are like, well, I want to be Amazon, but I can't. Amazon's just crazy good at innovation. And I say, great, you don't need to be. I think of Amazon as what I, I call a level five innovator, really the best of the best. You might be a level one innovator. That doesn't mean you can't get to level one and a half this year or level two, right? The important thing from a leadership perspective is just to start moving down that road and just to start improving. 
and it might take you 10 years, but you can get up to a level three, maybe level four, right? It's taken Amazon 30 years to get to the level of innovation they are today. So you mentioned Amazon has a methodology for innovation. Tell us a little bit more about that. What does that look like? And what is Amazon doing that other companies are not? Sure. There's a lot of different things that Amazon does that most companies don't do. And, and I think this also goes even with Microsoft, Google, and other of the top innovators. But Amazon's innovation process is referred to as working backwards. And it's a really simple process when it comes down to it. It just means that you start with whatever your customer idea is and the customer vision and benefit. And then you come up with what your plan is against it. What you do is you start every project with writing a one-page press release. And it's fictional, you know, it's visionary of what you think will be there in a year or two years, whenever your product might come to market or, or service offering. And you outline in there, what is the benefit for the customer? Who is the customer? What would be a fictional thing that a customer may say about it that shows their excitement about what this product is and how it's going to help them in their daily life? And you take this around to stakeholders, be it your leadership team or partners on the project, and you get everybody on the same page before you do any work. And this is why it's really unique is you align all of your stakeholders and what your actual outcome looks like, what your vision of success is and how you're going to get there. And then you can add into it in Amazon's process, a bunch of what they call frequently asked questions. And these go down the methods of how will you do it? And so this is everything from how will you price it? How will you build it? You know, how did you make the decisions that you made on a project? Things like that. And every project at Amazon starts with this. Literally, there's thousands being worked on at Amazon right now. And that's what you spend a lot of your time doing is just writing these and reviewing these. And it's different because again, you do it before work starts. And so the idea is that if you have all this alignment and thought put in up front, it's going to really accelerate the project. You're not going to run into the same type of project cancellations that you might have in other types of companies. You might not have the issues around stakeholder misalignment. Oh, I thought we were going to do it like this, right? A lot of companies have these challenges and it ends up slowing projects. So that's what Amazon does. Now, is a perfect no, but it's an easy process that has been proven to work. It alone is really responsible for a lot of Amazon success for the last 30 years. And any company can actually just start doing it. You know, on my website and other websites, this is published. There's a book about it called Working Backwards. And so if you're a, a person that is either a leader, a product manager, a technologist, a business person, and you're responsible for change projects, just start doing it and it will be helpful. And then there's a bunch of things you can do on top of that. Uh, what I recommend is people actually use some methodologies uh, and I go back to everything that's more or less proven in the space, which is uh, one of which is called jobs to be done. Uh, this is a, a very important innovation theory. It's been proven academically and with research to really help with projects. There's a whole methodology around that. I think you can do that very simply. Uh, and then there's other ideas like assumption testing. Uh, projects really run into a, a lot of problems with assumptions. Somebody makes an assumption up front. Hey, people are interested in my idea. You want to prove that before you invest a lot of money in building whatever your idea is, right? And so you can go and follow these assumption testing methodologies to prove these things out early. So as I mentioned, that's kind of Amazon in a nutshell. 
but there's a lot of these proven practices out there that any company can adopt. You just need to kind of stop looking at your own company and how you do things and look more broadly. And it makes a lot of sense from a lot of different innovation initiatives that are going on at the moment, thinking, say, digital transformation, where the leader kind of generally speaking, or whoever's bought into it, then struggles to get buy-in. Loads of different layers of the organization. It takes far longer than they initially expect because of the amount of time that's needed to convince all the different stakeholders to get on board. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Say you're talking to a leader who has never tried this before. What would you encourage them to think about before kind of delving straight in? Or is there anything that ways of kind of encouraging this to be widespread across the organization, getting people on board? Well, I, I do think that everything in innovation improvement starts with the leaders and getting your leadership team to be aligned. That is either educating them as to what you want to do, working with them to come up with what you want to do and sending the right priorities across them. So you've got to get them to be all on the same page or it's just not going to work. But really you just need to go and choose a process to follow hopefully one that's been demonstrated to be successful. Find somebody who can help you with it when you run into challenges or how to apply it in your company, and then just start doing it and do it incrementally. Yeah. A lot of people you know, from Amazon have gone to other companies to try and take these concepts there. And honestly, most of them fail because they don't really approach it the right way. So Amazon has a lot of different processes and methods that have made it successful. Working backwards is certainly one of them. But there's others out there, like it's a culture that's based on written documents. There's no PowerPoint allowed. That's a big difference for most organizations. And so as an example, people leave Amazon and go to other companies and they come in and say, hey, we don't want to do PowerPoints. You've got to you know, start writing six page documents if you want me to review anything. And those companies don't know how to do that. That's not part of their culture. People don't have that ability and it fails. And so you need to go in and incrementally do it. Start it in an individual group with the right support for those people. Test it out and start expanding it over time as you get success. That's probably the easiest thing. Of course, find a guide, you know, come to me or whoever else in the space that can help you implement it. If you do it right, these things are worth millions upon millions of dollars because they help you move faster to get to market. They help you avoid failed projects. Again, 96% of innovation projects fail, right? It's crazy. And so there's high return available to you if you do it right. Awesome. And so 97% is insane. Like 96. Um, oh, 96. 96. I mean, still, still pretty bad. It's um, crazy bad. What is it exactly that we're getting wrong about innovation, do you think, that we could be doing better? There's a lot of things that we're getting wrong. People aren't really trained in how to do it. It's just, this is how our company has approached innovation. And every company does that. And they've probably been just reinforcing those same failures, which causes them to fail 96% of the time because they don't look more broadly at this. Like the first thing is you need to learn and look for these methodologies that are out there and proven. There's plenty of proven stuff that's been researched, proven in practice that you can learn from assign somebody the responsibility to improve it. If I go to an organization or I do a presentation to a group of leaders and I ask, who's responsible for innovation in your organization? In almost every situation, everybody says, no, nope, nobody. They'll point around the room. They'll be like, well, the technology team, 
owns it because they've got the resourcing, right? But why are they doing it? Typically, it should be for a customer, right? Maybe it should be the sales organization or the chief revenue officer. A lot of times people say, well, it should be the CEO. But the CEO says, well, I can come up with strategy, but I can't manage all this stuff. So there's a gap there. That's one of the reasons it fails. Nobody's actually responsible for it. Hmm. What I tell people is first find a practice that, that you can use, get somebody to help you, assign people to do it, educate your leadership team and start practicing. So given everything that we've talked about, what does innovation look like, say, in 20 years time, particularly in light of the growing developments in AI? Yeah, it's a really great question. My opinion is that we are moving to a very highly decentralized innovation environment because of AI and generative AI specifically. When I talk to business leaders and technology leaders, the way technology has been built into organizations so far is it's typically very siloed. You have an IT team, maybe a product team or an engineering team, and that doesn't actually help you innovate at scale. Generative AI, what it's doing is it's giving these abilities to individuals to go and create new innovations without that central control of the technology team. And this is going to cause a whole bunch of different changes, but ultimately it's going to make IT departments go away. Not entirely, but I think very much, very much less than what they will be today. They'll be responsible for more standard setting. Individuals will be able to use whichever technologies they are most familiar with and capable with to create the right innovations. And then I think that it's also going to be decentralized globally because you now have people in low-income areas that have access to the supercomputer capabilities of AI, and they can do things without this huge burden of technology investment that has been required today. And so I see this in a very decentralized way. I do worry that the countries right now that are the prime innovators, the United States, Europe, and others, are going to be very disrupted by this because it's going to, to level the playing field a lot when these technologies are available to literally anybody at no cost. And that means basically now. Absolutely. And well, that's a, um interesting way to, to leave the, the conversation. I guess the good thing about it is that we are leveling the playing field. So there's ups and downs to that, right? We've been in the driving seat in the Western world for decades or longer. Personally, I think that's really exciting thinking about what other less developed countries and populations will be able to achieve once they kind of leapfrog us on the technological development side. Um, but that's super exciting. And, and definitely I've seen with conversations, for example, we were talking about data science in a previous episode, and we were talking about the decentralization of IT and how you kind of have these specialists who will be kind of integrated within the other teams to make the innovation faster and better. Um, so I guess in some ways matches up with what you're saying to some, some, I look at it a little bit differently. I just add in here, I do model a lot of what I do off of Amazon because it's proven successful and Amazon didn't quite do it that way. I mean, at Amazon, you can't become a business leader without a technology background at this point. And I see that being the direction it's going to go. I don't agree that you would have a technology person going to these teams. Those teams are inherently going to be technology oriented 
generative AI oriented, et cetera. And that will be the only way to be successful. So maybe that's the big difference in the next 20 years. It is integrated into every job. It's that type of decentralization. So to the listeners, everyone, <laughs> everyone needs to start learning their IT, I guess. Yeah. You know, there's, there's really three skills to be successful going forward in this. And one is understanding business strategy. Everything from what accounting is to how you do sales, marketing, whatever. You need to understand business. There are quite a few people that have a pretty good understanding of that already. But the second thing is product management and technology. You need to understand the basics of technology and how you develop new product capabilities for whatever your technology and service offerings are. And then the third one is innovation. How do you identify the right stuff to go after for your customers and build it quickly, faster than your competitors? If you've got those three things understood, you're set. You're going to be successful. But it's a different mix of skills than what we've had in the past. What got you into this? This is such a new area. What is it about innovation that gets you up in the morning? What drives you to do this job? I think for me, there's two aspects to it. First, I've always been in technology and I like solving problems. And so figuring out new ways to use technology to solve problems and create value, that's just what I like to do. You know, and that applies to any business or, or challenge that I've got. But when it comes to innovation, I believe innovation at the most fundamental level is actually what creates the most social justice in society. Because what happens is if you take an idea and you can use your ingenuity to create some new value from nothing, just taking a physical thing and your idea and putting them together or a software and your idea and putting them together and creating new value. That is a net new add to society that gets you new money and that can increase your value. And that ends up cascading through society to raise everybody. And that provides economic uplift wherever you are. And especially now with generative AI, where essentially we're giving every person in the world access to a supercomputer in their pocket. This means that if you're in a lower income area, you now have greater economic opportunities than have ever existed before in the history of the world if you can figure out how to create value from it. And so what I do is I go out to podcasts like yours, I speak with people, I talk to executives, because I think that that's the only way for us to succeed in the coming era. The other hand of it is lay everybody off, and that's going to be tough. So I'm very much the advocate go out, create value, let's lift up society. And I think we'll be better off as a society for sure. Awesome. That sounds like a great ending point for our conversation, actually. I think that you've kind of summarized our discussion very well and um, given a lot of, uh, that really kind of tells me a lot about who you are and what you, the value that you see and bring to your role. So thank you so much for explaining that and also thank you so much for joining at this episode it's been an absolute pleasure having you on i've learned so much that i did not know about generative ai and its applications and innovation with leaders so thank you again before we go you mentioned your website before but is there anywhere else that listeners can go to kind of follow what you're doing see what you're up to you can connect with me on linkedin i connect to pretty much anybody at least people who aren't trying to sell me stuff 
email me trent at d1innovation.com check out my website d1innovation.com and i'll be happy to chat and let's see if we can work together thank you for having me and it's been a pleasure so that wraps up our conversation for today everyone like trent said real innovation is not about finding the next billion dollar idea but rather it's about making small incremental changes that amalgamate to create value and help uplift society as a whole. The best part of it all is that this is not just something that's reserved for the big tech giants. With the right attitude and working culture, anyone can cultivate innovation as a skill. And tools like generative AI make it easier than ever for everyone to start innovating in their own roles. Thank you again for joining us for this episode. If you like what you heard, and want to hear from more industry-leading experts about the future of work, please do make sure to like, rate and subscribe to Tech Beyond the Hype on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you like to listen. Tech Beyond the Hype is a Tech Target original production.